Good morning. I'm so glad that we can be together, especially concerning this incredible story that we find in the scripture of one whose life is proven. If you had a blank page before you upon which to write your storyline at this very moment, what would your story proclaim? I pray that your story would announce that your life is a life that is proven, meaning that your faith in Jesus Christ is proven. There are many who are watching who do not know Jesus, and they need to see real faith, especially in moments of trials and and in moments of suffering. So I welcome you into this teaching series titled Proven, uh, Solid Faith in a Shifting World. How do we have such faith? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're told that trials come to test us so that the genuineness of our faith is proven. But within this context, we're also introduced to hope. I mean real hope. So here's the question. Does your life have hope at this very moment? Or does your life sometimes feel the despair and the disappointments more than the hope? Now, when we speak of hope, we speak of something more than just an attempt at optimism. (laughs) That attempt is always vain. The hope we speak of is, is a real hope that can only be found in our faith in Jesus Christ. So I welcome you into to part one of our teaching series where certainly hope is proven through suffering. Now, I, I love this, this incredible story of hope that comes from the writings of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is known in the Bible as an epistle, a letter that was written to the first century Christians. And the, the first century Christians were were, uh, oh, at times were overwhelmed with persecution and suffering that was coming from the world around them. And the message they received was have hope. And sometimes hope seems so evasive for many people uh, in this world. Um, looking back in history, the, the famous French philosopher and screenwright, Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, wrote a play titled No Exit, wherein he implied throughout that play that the, the end of hope is the beginning of hell. Uh, what a staggering truth from someone who was not spiritual. We're hearing from a secular mindset uh, the importance of hope. And, and although this play uh, was performed in 1944, the message is very real right now. We desperately need hope. In fact, recent research has proven that for the university student who has some element of hope, their, uh, their success in the classroom, their, their GPA is normally uh, higher than those who would say they do not have hope. On the athletic field, athletes who have some element of hope seem to always perform or do well when they're injured better than those who say they have no hope. And, and from a recent uh, research uh, in the, in the uh, elderly uh, age, uh, it was proven that, that those who claim to have no hope had a mortality rate that was double those who claimed to have some element of hope in latter years in life. So yes, hope is so vital. Dr. Shane Lopez has been noted as the world's leading researcher concerning hope. And he makes the comment that hope is always very catalytic. It's very necessary. More than an emotion, hope is a necessary instrument for life. So here's, here's the summary from a secular perspective and even from a professional perspective, we are in desperate need of hope. 
So we reach into the Word of God and we take a page from the only playbook that we can find on how to have hope in the midst of suffering, and that is from God's Word and particularly the letter of First Peter. Uh, this incredible letter was written to the Christians who, as described in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, were scattered. In fact, the word is they were dispersed. This first century diaspora that drove many Christian Jews from Jerusalem out into other areas was the persecution that came under the Roman emperor Nero. And this letter, these truths we have before us, are written to the dispersed Christian Jews who were under significant persecution. In fact, proof of their persecution is recorded in in history, uh, historians uh, like Suetonius, historians like Tacitus recorded back in, in the first century the, the reality of, of Christian persecution. In fact, uh, a statement from one of the historians, Tacitus, who was a famous Roman historian and a famous Roman political figure, wrote a statement about the first century persecution of Christians. And he wrote this in 115 AD. And this is what he wrote. The most extraordinary punishments were upon those who were called Christians. The origin of this name was Christ. And because of their allegiance to him, oh, persecution burst forth from Judea out into other parts of the Roman Empire. And that persecution floated everywhere and was celebrated everywhere. And the first people to be persecuted were those who had confessed their faith. And so, yes, the whole of the New Testament proves that through Paul's writing and Peter's writing and even, even in the Gospels, you see evidence all throughout the New Testament that those who chose to follow Jesus certainly underwent incredible persecution. And so from, from the playbook of the persecuted church, from the epistle of 1 Peter, we're introduced to one incredible way to have proven faith, to have solid faith in a shifting world. And that is to realize true hope. So I'd like to share with you, uh, if we can, seven facts of Christian hope. Now, speaking apologetically, there are many who have accused Christians over the centuries of, of leaning upon their faith as a crutch. But let me assure you, Christianity does not lean upon faith as a crutch because nothing about Christianity uh, nurtures of uh, psychological comfort. The, the one truth of, of Christianity is that it is all true. And, and the facts are there. And so Christian faith is built upon fact. Christian hope also is built upon fact. So I'd like to share with you seven facts of Christian hope taken from the verses you've heard read from 1 Peter chapter 1. The first fact of Christian hope is that Christian hope is sure. Now, when I read to you a moment ago about the dispersion of Christians scattered throughout uh, Asia Minor, uh, there, there is also a description of this scattering. They, they were scattered, but, but they were also covered by God. Here's the word. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, they were set apart by the Holy Spirit for obedience, and they were under the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. And so uh, Peter writes to the scattered Christians who truly were under God's covering, and then Peter writes this, grace and peace be multiplied to you. The whole expression of grace and peace multiplying references that although the Christians were suffering, grace and peace was theirs in abundance. The hope they had was sure, because in just a moment we will read 
that, that Peter addresses the living hope that God has given them, although they're dispersed, although they are scattered. This hope is sure. And sure hope uh, stands in contrast to what many of us express in our life, and I like to term that as a fond hope. Uh, there's a big difference between fond hope and sure hope. Fond hope is distinct from sure hope in that it focuses upon that which is fragile. And, and when we hope upon something that's fragile, the result is always uncertainty. Fond hope always desires what is fragile, and therefore uh, the, the, the expression of hope is, is uncertain. I'll give you some examples of a fond hope. If, if someone were to say, uh, I hope that I can have many more years with my aging parents, that is a pure desire. But because the reference is to something that is fragile, life, the hope is a fond hope. It's desiring something that's fragile on a, on a much uh, less significant level and a, super, a superficial level. Imagine this statement. You're driving to work and you say, I hope that I can catch all the green lights as I head to the office. Well, still, the, the example is there. You're, you're desiring something that's fragile. Therefore, at best, it's uncertain. Now, this is what we can call a fond hope. The desire is pure. Uh, that which you're longing for is seems natural and right, but because the basis of that which you're longing for is is uh, fragile because it's a part of life, then the best you can have is is uncertainty. Opposed to a fond hope is this sure hope. The sure hope is the hope that's addressed here. And Peter writes to persecuted Christians to remind them that they have a sure hope. Here is sure hope. Sure hope holds the future in the present because it's anchored in the past. Now, I, I heard you. You're, you're, you're saying, hey, pastor, say that again. Okay, uh, real hope, sure hope holds the future in the present because it is anchored in the past. Real hope holds to the future, that which God has promised that will come to pass. And holding the future in the present references that we believe what God will do is as real for us in this moment as it will be in the future. So we hold the future promises in the present and we look to them over our present challenges. And we know that we can do this uh, with, with incredible confidence because this hope is anchored in the past and what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. That's real hope. The, the future, that which God has promised, we hold in the present so that we look to that instead of our present sufferings. And this hope is anchored in the past what Jesus has indeed accomplished. This gives us substantive security. We know that our hope is in, is in what God has said will be true, and we hold it in the present as our reality now because the truth is actually anchored in what Jesus did on the cross in the past. And so this is our real substantive present hope. It's not a fond hope. Because there's no uncertainty, it is a real hope. It's very certain. And so the first fact of Christian hope, based on the context of what we're reading, is that Christian hope is a sure hope. But here's a second fact. Christian hope is also a hope that is based upon the fullness of God's nature. This is the second fact. Christian hope is based completely upon God's nature, and his nature is perfect. Therefore, 
The hope that is based on him is perfect. Listen to verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth. Let's pause there. We read from 1 Peter 1, 3, an incredible description of of the fullness of God's nature. Uh, listen again. Blessed be the God. The word blessed, coming from the word eulogitas, actually means to state a blessing or to state the value of a name. And so Peter writes, there is complete, perfect value in the name of God upon which our hope is based. And so our hope is based upon the fullness of God's name, upon the fullness of his nature. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's one evidence of his nature. The Lord Jesus Christ, being referenced with God the Father, demonstrates that God did not withhold his only son from us, but lovingly and willingly gave Jesus to die on the cross for us. And so this demonstrates God's compassion and God's love. He did not withhold his only son from us. So God is love. He's compassionate toward us. We know this. But also the scripture here describes God as as being one who has great mercy according to his great mercy. Jeremiah proclaimed in Lamentations chapter 3 verse 23 that his mercies, God's mercies are new every morning. So God is love. God is also merciful. And then listen to this. He's given us a new birth. And so God is also spiritually our Abba Father. This is the fullness of God's nature. He's perfect and completely love. He's perfect and completely merciful to us. Why? Because he is the perfect father to those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And so this Christian hope is sure. And this Christian hope is also built upon the nature of God. I'd like to share with you a third fact of Christian hope. Now, these facts continue to become more and more exciting, so I ask you to lean in. And remember, our point of reference is this question, do you truly have real hope in your life today? Here's the third fact of Christian hope. And we read this in the latter part of verse 3. What has God given us? He's given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, you realize who wrote this, correct? Well, Peter, who is also the disciple Peter. Peter knew the devastation of, of disappointments. Do you remember in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, Peter saw the catch of fish in a miraculous way and bowed before Jesus and said, Master, Savior, I'm unclean. Peter saw the majesty of Jesus in that moment. But then you, you fast forward to, uh, to Luke chapter 22, and you look at verse 62 of that lengthy chapter and you realize that Peter grieves why did he grieve because he denied Jesus for a third time the scripture says Jesus told him he would he would deny the savior three times and Peter did that and so he grieved and then Peter saw the the death of Christ on the cross and Peter felt as if all hope was gone even when he ran to the tomb with John on Easter morning, John went in, went in and saw and believed. But we, but we tricked Peter's life even after the resurrection of Jesus just before he actually saw Jesus for himself. And Peter struggled to believe. But oh, as recorded in the last chapter of John, when, when the disciples saw Jesus on the, on the shore and they were out on the boat in the water after Peter said, hey, I'm, I'm so disappointed, I'm going fishing. And here they are on the water, and they see Jesus on the shore, and one of the disciples say, well, that's Jesus. And when Peter realizes it's Jesus, he dives out of the boat and swims toward him. Peter knew the devastation of hope lost, and Peter knew the incredible blessing of a living hope 
when he fully understood that Jesus arose from the grave. And so when we read Peter's words that he wrote here in the first chapter of his first epistle, we've been given a living hope. Peter references that Christ has indeed arisen from the grave. This is a phenomenal announcement of the type of hope we have as Christians. You see, the, the hope we have is ever living because the ground of hope is ever living. Our hope does not disappoint. Our hope does not die because the ground of our hope is the resurrected Jesus himself. And so our hope is ever living because the ground, the foundation of our hope is ever living. What an incredible description we have of our hope as Christians. Our hope is a living hope. The, the word living doesn't just mean that it's, it's a growing hope. Because sometimes we think of living as something that, that grows. But the word living actually uh, juxtaposes, it actually opposes all of the dead hope of the pagan religions, not only of Peter's day, but of our day as well. In fact, Judaism was referenced as, as having a dead hope when, when many in the Jewish faith rejected Jesus. But more than that, every, every pagan religion that has ever existed is a dead hope. Because there's only one Savior, and there's only one who has risen from the grave, and it's Jesus, and he brings us living hope. So that's the third fact of, of our Christian hope. Our Christian hope is living. It's sure. It's built upon the nature of God, and it's a living hope. But look at the fourth fact of our Christian hope. This is found in verse 4. And this hope has pointed us into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading kept in heaven for you. The fourth fact of our Christian hope is that our Christian hope points toward this spiritual inheritance. Now, Peter was there when Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, about treasures in heaven and how our faith in Christ stores up treasures in heaven. Peter uses the word inheritance here. This still represents a, a, an idea of gain and of worth. And Peter references our new life in Christ, both now and in eternity, as that spiritual inheritance. When, when the nation of Israel was wandering through the desert, uh, there was a generation that died in the desert, but, but God's promise to Israel was fulfilled. His covenant of love held the title of a geographical inheritance, which also referenced a spiritual inheritance. And Peter writes, even now through Christ, the love of God demonstrated in Jesus holds the title of our spiritual inheritance. We, we live forever. We have that eternal abundant life within us that assures us of our spiritual inheritance. And I love how this inheritance is described. It's imperishable. It's uncorrupted. It's unfaded. In the Greek, each of those words begin with the letter A, which actually references the opposite of. You might read more literally, uh, our inheritance is a-perishable, a-corrupted, a-fated, meaning just the opposite. Our promise of a full life, both now and for all eternity, when we're absent from this life and present with the Lord, is that spiritual inheritance that is more sure than anything we could ever imagine or hope for. So right now, dear follower of Jesus, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual inheritance that, that is alive in, in you now because in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, we're told that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit of our inheritance. God's presence is in you to prove to you every single day that you have eternal life, abundant life. That is your inheritance. Don't doubt because you have 
an inheritance in Jesus Christ. There's a fifth fact of our Christian hope. Remember, we're answering that point of reference that has a question, do we truly have hope today in these uncertain times? Here is a fifth fact of our Christian hope. Hope also, Christian hope also guards our faith. Look at verse 5. Who are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that will be fully revealed in the last time. Well, I love at the end of verse 4, we are told that this inheritance is kept for us, meaning that all that we need for abundant life God has secured. That word kept is, is in the perfect tense, meaning all the work is done. God has secured our eternal life and our abundant life. And then in verse 5, we're told that because of that assurance, our faith is protected. We're not only people who have their inheritance protected, our own custody is protected, meaning our own uh, identity as sons and daughters of God through our faith in Christ is protected and secure forever. I truly uh, attest to you now that the scripture proves over and over again that if your faith truly is in Jesus Christ, your faith is secure. Now notice how the hope of who Christ is guards our faith. That's the message of verse 5. The word guard is a military term that can actually indicate a guard that's been placed around an entire city, the parameter guard, one might say. And although First Peter describes in chapter 5, verse 8, that Satan is like a roaring lion circling around us to attack us, we have a guard around our faith, and that's the hope that's in Christ. And so when Satan tries to put doubt in us and tries to put discouragement and, and, and desperation in our lives, we're guarded against that if we hold to the hope that we have. The hope is in Jesus Christ, and that hope guards our faith. That hope guards us from discouragement. That hope guards us from drawing false conclusions about the reality that we see the hope in Christ guards our faith so that we go forward in faith, never doubting but fully believing in the truths of Christ. Well, there's a sixth fact about Christian faith, and here it is, or about Christian hope. Christian hope always produces joy. Look at verses 6 through 9. Uh, you rejoice in this, though now for a short time you've been distressed. Have you been distressed? School started this past week for many parents who are doing a lot of teaching at home and, and for precious teachers who are, who are juggling so many different challenges. And I'm sure many of us feel more distressed than maybe we felt in a long time. But you can rejoice in your distress. And you may be thinking, Ken, I really would like for you to tell me how I should be rejoicing now. Well, well here's the answer. You can rejoice, though distressed. Look at verse 7. So that the genuineness, uh, genuineness of your faith is proven because it's more valuable than gold, which when tested by fire uh, can, can perish. But your faith will last because of the hope. And this results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love him, though you've not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And here it is. You rejoice with inexpressible joy. You see, the hope you have in Christ guards your faith. And in that, reminds you, even in, in the midst of the most distressing times, that Jesus is with you. And you can rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible. These verses describe those who did not see Jesus physically. Now, Peter did. But Peter writes to an audience who, for the most part, did not see Jesus at all. Yet they believed. Why? Because the hope they have in Christ is a supernatural hope that always brings the joy, the rejoicing that Christ Jesus is with us and has secured everything in our life that we need. 
uh, even in the midst of distressing moments. And so, yes, the Christian hope always produces joy. And then the last fact, and this is so powerful, the seventh fact of Christian hope is this. Christian hope always remembers the promises. Isn't that incredible? Look at verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied, therein is the reference to the promises. The prophets who prophesied, oh, about the grace that would come to you. They searched carefully. Look at verse 11. They inquired as to the time and the circumstance uh, that the spirit of Christ within them was indicating that the, the Messiah would suffer and that the glories would follow. Oh, this is such a beautiful message. Uh, verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but, but you. And, and oh, this is so powerful because they were serving you and me concerning the things which have now been announced. That is Jesus Christ, the gospel. Oh, this is beautiful. The Holy Spirit sent from heaven to abide in us. These are the things that angels desire to look into. The gospel is a fascinating and overwhelming fulfillment of all of God's promise that even fascinates the angels in heaven. And oh yes, the hope in Jesus Christ. Christian hope always remembers the promises. These verses simply state that the prophets carefully understood that God was encouraging them to speak the truths of the coming Messiah. You see in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, that in days of old, God spoke through the prophets to the fathers, but now he speaks completely through Jesus Christ. And Christian hope always remembers the promises God has promised and God has fulfilled. And you and I are recipients. We are products of the promise fulfilled that Jesus would come. And yes, Christian hope remembers that God has fulfilled all the promises and he can be trusted right now, even in your moments of distress. And so, yes, we have hope. And these are the facts of that Christian hope that came to the persecuted Christians. And that same hope is being announced to you and to me. And perhaps your present moment feels as distressed as it ever has. Put your faith and hope in Christ. You can trust him because these facts prove that the only true hope is Christian hope. In his book, Deserted by God, author and pastor Sinclair Ferguson shares the following story. He references a time of sickness in the world when the AIDS virus was running epidemically throughout many nations. And he reports about the first death that took place in the United Kingdom during the AIDS virus. And the death was of a young Christian doctor who had contracted the sickness while he was doing medical research in Zimbabwe. Ferguson describes that this young doctor's last days were, were, were filled with suffering. In fact, he suffered so much that his communication began to fail him. And he struggled with increasing difficulty to express his thoughts even to his wife who stood by his deathbed. On one occasion, the doctor was so weak that all he could do was write messages to his wife. And on this particular occasion, he could only write one letter of the word he was attempting to say to his wife in those crucial and agonizing final moments of his life. The letter he wrote was the letter J. So his wife began to uh, review some of his uh, medical journal records to try to discern what term, what message of medicine he was trying to convey 
that began with the letter J. She called out many words, but finally she looked at her husband, pointed to the letter J that he wrote, and she asked, Jesus? And the young doctor smiled and nodded. And what he was indicating was this, while all hope seems lost, Jesus is enough. In fact, not even the full name of Jesus written uh, what was necessary when he wrote the letter J and they finally realized, yes, their focus is on Jesus. That brought all the hope they needed. And so at this very moment, the hope you need for the distress of this present age is Jesus Christ. That's not a church statement. That's not a, a statement that only pastors or missionaries or ministers make. That's the truth. We just looked at facts about the Christian hope. And oh, may your hope be placed solidly in Jesus Christ because we desperately need hope. The secular world and secularists like Jean-Paul Sartre will admit mankind needs hope. Professionals like Dr. Shane Lopez will say people need hope. God himself has said, in that case, I've given you hope. And the only true hope is in Jesus Christ. May I pray with you. Father in heaven, at this moment, help us to turn to you. I pray for that person, Father, who needs to place their trust in Jesus now and to repent of sin and to receive Jesus and to trust you in your love. And Father, help us all to live in this incredible hope so that our lives will be proven in these difficult days. Lord, show us how to have solid faith in a shifting world and show us, Father, a, a fresh glimpse of the hope that we have in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. On the screen is a website location and a text number. If you feel like that, that God has touched your heart and you want to talk more about what it means to, to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, reach out. We'd love to speak with you. If, if, if you are a Christian and you're struggling to find hope, please reach out because hope is there. And we would love to have an opportunity to pray with you and talk with you and encourage you. Hey, there is one hope. His name is Jesus. So today, say it. Hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. Thanks for joining us. God bless. Love you a lot.